Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and for allowing us to gather here and worship you. We have come as you have called us, a family of faith united in you, and we ask that you would be in our midst this hour. Fill this room with your spirit, bless our time together, and stay near to your children. Receive our praise, guide our worship, and teach us what it is that you would have us to do for you and your kingdom in this community and around the world. And it is in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. You know, um, we're going to talk today for just a moment about something that Dr. Roxburgh is going to read about in just a few minutes. It's about Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb when, on, on that first resurrection morning, when Jesus had been crucified and buried, and then he raised again. He was raised again, or he he actually was resurrected by his own power. And we want to talk that because, about that because it's about surprises. You know, today I was a little bit surprised when I looked up and I saw all these little ones coming down here at this time because you always come down here. We know you're going to be here, right? We're always going to be down here. Well, last Sunday was Easter, and we changed things up a little bit, and we had some different activities going on. And uh, some of you weren't here, were you, Avery? You were at a, at a big, big Easter celebration. But... Um, we had, one, we had a big Easter celebration here, too, though. Maybe not as big as the one you were in in Washington, but we had one, too. But uh, nevertheless, when you came down, I was a little bit surprised because we moved the time that y'all are coming down a little bit later in the worship. And, but it's fine that you're here. I'm not going to cry like Mary did today. Okay? No, you're supposed to, anytime you decide to come down here, it's always good. Okay? It's always good to be down here. So today we want to talk a little bit about surprises and about when we expect something's going to be a certain way and it's not. When you expect to get something or you expect to find someone and they're not there and you get upset maybe. Now, you don't have to tell me the details, but have any of you ever had a time where maybe you were at a, at a school function and your parents were supposed to be there to pick you up and maybe they were a little bit late? Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you? It has? Well, we don't want the details about it, but we do know that it happens to everyone, I think. I know it happened to me when my wife and I got our signals mixed up one day, and we forgot. The other thought the other was going to pick up our little girl, and when I got here to pick her up, she was really upset, and she still talks about it. To this day, she talks about it. Won't let me, but the point is this, when Mary came to the tomb, she expected to find Jesus. Did she find him? No, he wasn't there, was he? It was an empty tomb. But what did she find outside? We haven't heard that reading. Hmm? He rose again. He rose again, but the, and, and the claws that had been on him were neatly stacked there on a place uh, on the, in the tomb. But also outside, Mary saw this person in the garden. And she wanted to know what this person had done with Jesus. Because he was, they saw him come off the cross. He was dead, they thought. Put him, or he was dead. They put him in the tomb. And she goes back and he's gone. What's the only explanation? He had to have been taken by someone to some other place. She was upset, and you know what Jesus said to her? Or what the gardener said to her? She thought it was a gardener. Mary, why are you crying? Mary, why are you crying? See, Jesus was comforting her and helping her understand that he was with her there at that time. When our parents maybe were late and they found you and maybe you were crying, you weren't crying, were you? My daughter was. She was really crying. And she, she let me know it, and she, uh, as I said, she still reminds me of that. But the point is this. We, we say, why are you crying? Because we're there to pick them up and hold them. And in, in your case, you, your parents hold you, and they say, it's okay. I'm here with you. That's what, that's what Jesus, who Mary thought was a gardener, said to her. 
He called her name, and in that moment, she knew who it was. It was Jesus. So, you know, when we, in the same way, when we're worried about what's going on and we, we're maybe frightened by something, that we can offer prayers too and say and be reminded that Jesus is with us and he'll comfort us and let us know that he's concerned for us and caring for us even in those moments, okay? So what's great about the fact that we have Easter again this week, it's the second Sunday in Easter, we're, we talk about the resurrection every Sunday, every day, if we believe in Jesus, every day is a reminder that we have hope, that Jesus is with us and with us all the time. Let's offer prayer, giving thanks prayer, okay? Lord, we thank you for the promise of hope we have in you. We thank you for these children. We thank you that we have the opportunity to interact with them and be a part of their lives and they ours. I pray, oh Lord, that you would help us to know how to teach and guide and instill your truths in them. Watch over them and protect them. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Southside Baptist Church on this second Sunday of Easter. It's a time that we gather on this, what is typically called Low Sunday, the Sunday after Easter when uh, people are away and, and um, those who come infrequently may have chosen to be in a different place or maybe they've ch taken this week to go on vacation, but whatever the case, we're glad that all those who are here have joined us to be in this place today so that we can worship the true and living God. As we gather here this, this morning, we know that there are people from all walks of life, all ages that are here, and we want to welcome everyone and also to ask you to do this. If you would please fill out our registration uh, tablet there, uh, attendance sheet, then we'll know who all is here, not just guests, not those at regular attendance, but everyone who is attending today, members and guests alike, to sign that so we'll have a record of your attendance and any changes that you might want to make in that, uh, in your address or any other kind of personal information that you would like to share with us. Southside Baptist Church is a church in the heart of the city seeking to build an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond, by welcoming all who come to these doors, engaging in worship, calling forth those gifts of those individuals so that we can all together be the people that God has called us to be in this place. Today as we continue to worship, we do so with, with him, but before we do so, Dr. Banks is going to come and share a word with you. It's not my usual practice to introduce a hymn, but uh, as we say beforehand, I wanted a moment of personal privilege, if I might. Uh, today is the first day that Sarah Hazlett has had a Sunday off from the organ bench in about two years. So uh, when you see her again, um, remember that uh, she has been uh, that, that steady uh, hand on the organ uh, for low this uh, length of time during a variety of interesting ins and outs, uh, as those of us who have been around here a little bit know about that. I'm grateful that, for that. And in her stead today, uh, I am so grateful to uh, have the opportunity to welcome um, Melinda Howard Dressler. Melinda has uh, been here before. Uh, she is the organist at Brookwood Baptist Church, and because they have an early enough service, she could do that whole service and then zoom over here and be with us uh, and uh, uh, be our organist, service organist today. Melinda has the um, dubious distinction of also being a schoolmate of mine at Sanford University in our undergraduate uh, years. In fact, she accompanied my senior recital. I don't know if she wants to be proud of that or, or, or not. Uh, I certainly am, because she's a magnificent uh, keyboard artist, and we're so grateful for uh, Melinda Dressler being with us. And I take one further moment to um, recognize a couple of folks who are new to us. They were new with us last week, uh, and uh, one of these is another schoolmate. We're, we're just having a Sanford reunion from the early 70s here. Uh, Dr. Kenny Gannon, uh, who you see over here, is the uh, new director of the Wright Center Concert Hall um, and coordinator of events at, in the School of the Arts, uh, also is in charge of the um, uh, Brock Recital Hall and uh, Bowling Studio and Air Conditioning. 
uh, right? Can, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and tickets and you name it, uh, that is it. Uh, Dr. Gannon comes to Sanford after having served at Shorter University and at Peace University in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. And with him, he, uh, we are very fortunate that he brought um, his lovely wife, Monique, uh, Monique Gannon uh, has a tremendous um, uh, singing background, um, uh, well-trained in uh, the Northeast, and came down, got with uh, Dr. Gannon, and they are quite a power duo. And um, so we're, we're so glad to have Kenny and Monique with us. Um, I also mentioned to them last week that uh, this would, that would be a big crowd. This one, we might last week want to say, Mary, wish some people a Merry Christmas. Um, since that might be the last time we see them uh, before then. I'm sorry, I've taken too long on that, but uh, then further to, uh, in honor of uh, Dr. Roxborough, uh, it just seemed to work so well with his sermon topic and such, a nice British tune, uh, Thaxted by uh, Gustav Holst. If you would stand as we sing together hymn number 366, O God Beyond All Praising. Our first scripture reading today is found in the Psalter, Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and then 14 through 24. <clears throat> Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Here ends our first lesson from the scripture. Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We begin this morning a series of four homilies on resurrection people, people that we encountered the risen Lord, especially from John's Gospel, chapter 20 and 21. And our reading this morning is about the encounter that our Lord had with Mary Magdalene. If you're able, although the reading is long, will you stand for the reading of the Gospel? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent down to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. join me in prayer. Let us pray. As we remember the appearance of the risen Christ to his disciples, sharing his love, his presence, his peace, and his spirit, we pray confidently about those things that concern us this morning. God of grace, we thank you that you give to us a place within your church, amongst your family, Grant to your church the spirit of unity that we may dwell together in your love and so bear to the world the peace of your healing and the encouragement of your blessing. Help us to remember that your word could not be contained in that first Easter, but burst forth in splendor. 
help us now to echo and re-echo the good news down through the ages. Lord, raise us to new life in your love and in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for our local community in which we live. Lord, grant peace to our neighborhoods. Give us, we pray, the desire for harmony amongst people and reconcile any conflict. Strengthen those who are fearful as well as those who are lonely. And open our hearts to share with each other all that we have of our riches, our time, and our talents. Lord, raise us to new life in your love and in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those this morning who suffer. Your absence at times leaves us overwhelmingly without help. But we pray that you would breathe upon us as you did upon your early church, your abundant life that where we cannot see what the future holds, we may have courage to believe. That when we are in distress, that you may alleviate our pain and give us hope for tomorrow. When we are in physical pain, that your presence may help us in the midst of all our anguish and that you may grant to us the hope of your eternal kingdom. Lord, raise us to new life in your love and in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, our hope is in you, in life, in death, and toward eternity. We rejoice this morning for all who have entered into the fullness of life eternal. We pray especially for our loved ones who have gone before us. May we with them rise to share in your eternal kingdom. Merciful God, accept these prayers offered in spoken word, but also in the silence of our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever.
Ben Witherington tells a story of preaching in a small Methodist chapel in England during the time when he was studying for his PhD at Durham University. It was a tiny coal mining village that he went on one Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, to preach. As he was coming near to the chapel, a steward came up to him, a bit breathless, saying, you do believe in the resurrection, don't you? And Witherington said, well, that's why I've come to preach this morning. Oh, said the man, I'm ever so relieved because the chat we had last year didn't and it was a bit of a disappointment. (laughs) The story of the empty tomb is a story of God raising Jesus from the dead. God did something that only he could do. A new creation, as mighty as the beginning of the first creation, opening up unprecedented possibilities to all who discover in Jesus Christ the hope for their life. God has raised him from the dead. The Gospels, however, never describe the resurrection. They never tell us any of the events when the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out. What we do have, however, are a variety of different encounters that the risen Lord has with those who were his followers. It speaks of the disciples, but also in particular about the women The disciples, those frightened disciples, those first apostles who had run away and left Jesus alone, one of whom betrayed him and the other denied him three times. And it was the women who came to the tomb first of all. And they were granted the joy of meeting the risen Lord and discovering that he was alive. The first and perhaps the most important was Mary Magdalene. She's known by where she came from because Mary was a common name. And so she's known as coming from Magdala, a fishing village off the coast of the Sea of Galilee. According to the Gospels of Mark and Luke, she encountered Jesus during his ministry on earth, and he delivered her from possession by demons. In 597, Pope Gregory decided in a sermon to describe her as being a prostitute. And although in 1969 the Vatican rescinded that idea, Mel Gibson and Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't get the memo. And the New Testament never identifies her as such, or as in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, as Jesus' would-be girlfriend. Jesus had exorcised demons from her, and she had gone from being an outcast into the very center of his life as one of his followers and disciples. In fact, In the Gospels, her name is listed first among all the women who followed Jesus apart from one occasion. She is listed ahead of a woman like Joanna, who was the wife of Herod's estate agent. She was an important follower of Jesus. And she's one of those disciples that stayed close to Jesus. She was at the cross when others ran away. She remained there and she became the first eyewitness to the risen Jesus. Not a man, but a woman. From other texts of the early Christian era, she became an apostle amongst the apostles. In fact, the witness of an apostle to the other apostles. She says, I have seen the Lord. It's the same words that are used by Paul, who encountered Jesus Christ later on in his life. In a patriarchal culture, like first-century Judaism, in which the witness of women was not considered important enough, her prominent role is significant in terms of the new life that Jesus brings to humanity. Mary has gone to the tomb to mourn the passing of her Savior. She weeps. She would have brought spices and clean linens, presumably to re-anoint the body and re-wrap it. Jews normally mourned for about a period of a week, and would visit the tomb, and would during those times, because they didn't practice mummification like the Egyptians, there would be an odor, and so myrrh and spices would be reapplied to the grave clothes. The empty tomb that she encountered was another twist of the knife into her heart, a cruel trick. Some gardener, some servant, some soldier had stolen the body, and she didn't know where to find him. If you read this chapter, there's a lot of running going on. (laughs) She runs to the disciples, Peter and presumably John, the one whom Jesus loved. And Peter and John go running back to the tomb. 
by that time, Mary's just taking her time to get back. And Peter outruns, no, it's John who run, outruns Peter. And when they go there, he looks in and he sees the empty tomb and he sees also the place where Jesus had lain and the grave clothes are still there. And then Peter arrives and rather than standing outside the tomb in his normal, I'm going to see everything I can see attitude, goes straight in and sees also what John sees. And because Peter's in there, John will go in also. And we read that when he saw the linen cloth, he saw and believed. Something clicked. The light came on. But they go back to their homes, and Mary is left there standing outside, and she is crying. She is still in the darkness. She assumes the tomb is empty because it's a robbed tomb, and so she cries. But she peers in, and through her tears, she sees two men standing. We're told that they were angels at the top and at the bottom of where Jesus had lain. And they ask her a question. Why are you crying? <laughs> well, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And then she looks outside of the tomb, and she sees another person. And thinking that he's the gardener, he asks her, woman, why are you crying? Her tears are real. She is overwhelmed with grief. She has lost the one who has made sense to her life. And tears like that take time to be taken away. She's not, in, she's not wrong, actually, in assuming him to be the gardener. The writer of the gospel is playing around with themes here. He's comparing a, an early garden where Adam and Eve were placed with another garden here of resurrection where there's a new Adam who's coming to bring order out of the chaos that has been affected by sin. And Jesus says to her, Mary, and it's enough. Only then does she realize who it is. The same word that he probably used when he freed her from those demonic forces, the same word that he would use to speak to her as they were walking through Galilee on the way to Jerusalem, he uses that same word of intimacy, of friendship, and says, Mary, and she knows exactly who he is, and she responds in Hebrew, Rabboni, Master, Lord. This whole section of John's gospel is incredibly intimate. John is also playing around with another passage in the Old Testament, the Song of Songs, that intriguing book that we don't read very often because it sometimes embarrasses us because of the intimacy of the relationship it describes between people. But in the Song of Psalms, we read these words. Do you hear them be echoed, being echoed here in John 20? I will search for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. Have you seen the one my heart loves? When I found him, I held him and would not let him go. Mary discovers the one whom her heart loves, and she wants to hold on to him. And Jesus' response is fascinating. He says, don't cling to me. Now, if your translation that you read says, don't touch me, that's wrong. It's just wrong. The translation is, don't hold on to me. And Jesus is saying something very significant to Mary about a new relationship that has taken place following the cross and the resurrection. The relationship between Jesus and herself and others is becoming renewed. Up to that point, Jesus has spoken about my Father, but now he speaks about my Father, your Father, my God, your God. Jesus is saying to Mary and to us that a new relationship has sprung up like a spring flower. We have been brought into the same intimate relationship that Jesus has known with the Father, with Abba. We are brought near to his relationship because of the cross and the resurrection. In the first chapter of John's gospel, John tells us that Jesus came as the one who was near to the Father's heart. And now at the end of the gospel, Jesus is saying to Mary, you can be close to the Father's heart as well. You can discover a new relationship of intimacy, of communion, of friendship that I know that will take away any fears that your sins are unforgiven, 
that will give you the confidence of knowing that God will hear you as you cry out to Him, that you can enter into a new future, a new future that is different. Don't cling on to me. Don't cling on to the past. Move on into the future. And that's a a message worth telling others about. And so Jesus commissions Mary of Magdalene to be the first Easter preacher. He commissions her to go and tell the lads that what she has seen and touched and heard. He tells her to tell them that he will be ascending to God the Father, that he did not rise just to continue an earthly existence, but to bring them into a new experience of life. And Mary goes and tells about her Lord. It is Mary, not Peter, not John, not James, the brother of the Lord, but Mary who becomes the apostle to the apostles, the primary Christian witness, the first Christian evangelist. It's so striking, so embarrassing that the early church had to try to explain why it happened. It cannot be accidental. It's part of God's purposes of changing the nature of the structure of humanity to open it up to all, to say to those who are women as well as men, in Jesus Christ, we have found our freedom, our liberty, our vocation, our calling to say to others, I have seen the Lord. And the Lord isn't just a cipher word. It's not just a polite way of describing Jesus. John wants us to hear Mary saying, I have seen the king of the universe. I have seen the one who will make the nations tremble. I've seen the one through whom and for whom all things have been made. And so at the end of the chapter, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Did the men believe her? Not at first. Luke 24 suggests that they didn't. They said it's a load of old wives' tales, typical male reaction perhaps, and they were dead wrong about Jesus because he wasn't dead and he wasn't gone. But it took his appearance to them in the upper room later on in this chapter to convince them. Mary's story is a story of courage, of change, of redemption, of witness. What is its message for us this morning in the 21st century? Could it be Don't cling to the past. Don't cling even to the Jesus of the past. Don't cling to the church of the past. Move on into the future. It's not about getting back to the good old days. It's about going forward into a bright future of risen hope, of new beginnings. As Adoniram Judson once said way back in the 19th century, our future is as bright as the promises of God. But this risen appearance of Jesus to Mary has implications for mission and the life of the church here and today. It's a call to vocation, to living our lives in meaningful ways. Southside, like many churches, has been a place where the place of vocation, a place where men and women have discovered the call of God in their lives. A call of God that is a call to use our lives wherever we find ourselves day by day to be those who bear witness to the risen Christ. It's a place where within the life of the church and within the life of culture, our call is discerned, fostered, nurtured, celebrated, and translated into lives of faithful and fruitful witness. And today, on this low Sunday, but still the Sunday of resurrection, along with our Orthodox sisters and brothers, we rejoice that Jesus Christ is alive. We have seen the Lord, and he says to us, go and tell other people. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Lord, for your resurrection, we offer you our praise and thanksgiving for the new beginnings that you have brought us into through rising from the dead. We are so grateful. Enable us to live as those who have met you and our hearts have been touched because of that. Help us to know 
that our Redeemer lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We close with a hymn of declaration and celebration, a hymn where we might have the opportunity to express our commitment to Christ in a public way. 210, I know that my Redeemer lives. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings you've given us throughout our lives. Thank you for the air we breathe. Thank you for waking us up in our right minds today. Thank you for all of the flowers, the sky, the personal things you've given us, friends and relatives. Help us today to manifest these many gifts and our appreciation of them and giving back to you that which you so rightfully deserve. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
prospective class members, I think, over to Jim and Nick's to have a meeting for a new young adult Sunday school class. It will be starting soon. So um, you'll be here momentarily, and I, I guess on low day, it may be a good day because it will take a lot less time for folks to come by and wish you there. But you'll see the others, too. They'll be back, and, and they'll be able to greet you as well. But we're glad that you're here and working with us. Also, you'll see a lot of activities in the bulletin this, this week. There are things that are going on in the, in the weeks to come. Take notice of those. And the um, flowers today, these beautiful flowers, as you read in the order of worship, were given to the glory of God in memory of Mr. Warren Kenny Sr. and Miss Ruthie Holloway Kenny on the occasion of the 70th birthday of their twin sons, Cleveland and Foster Kenny. And, of course... Cleveland and Foster here, and they're seated, seated right here. All of you know them, longtime members here, and we're glad that you're able to be here and have your guests with you today, and that uh, you do have a legacy uh, here, your family, family legacy here at Southside. So we wish you the best today and each day. If there are no other announcements, we will stand and go out into the world and seek to carry the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. As we go, receive the blessing of God. The blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.